Welcome back to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Spotlight Series, where we highlight the people, the technologies, and the companies changing the future of retail. Today, we are joined by Gal Fontaine, the VP of Marketing at Site. Gal, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So, Site was probably one of the first, and right, correct me if I'm wrong, was one of the first I podcasts think so. we ever did. This was, we're talking probably 2018. Yeah. Lee, yeah, a long time ago. The founder of Site. Yeah, it was. it's an amazing company we've been following for a really long time. And so it's exciting to be able to catch up with you guys and find out what you've been up to. Yeah, we had we had Lee uh, Pinto Fryman on the show. Uh, she's one of the founders of Site. And uh, yeah, it's cool because I love it because like spotlighting a company two years ago and now we're bringing them back to see how they did, to see how things are evolving and to really talk about the continued success at the company. So, so Gal, why don't we start there? Let's, for those maybe that, you know, haven't been following OmniTalk for, you know, the past two years, maybe new to the program, what is Site? And talk specifically to about your role at the company. Sure. So, um, first of all, quick disclaimer. I mean, uh, <laughs> if you have listened or, or, or seen the, um, the podcast with Lee, I can't compete with her. She's amazing. <laughs> if you have a chance in the future to uh, uh, come see her talk, I heavily recommend that you do that. Now, yeah. Um, in regards to site, what we do, we're a visual AI um, platform. And basically what we do is we um, power different visual experiences and the different discovery uh, um, flows for different retail brands, um, mainly in fashion, in uh, home decor and in uh, um, jewelries. And, and so tell us more about tell, tell us more about what that means, because specifically and traditionally, and I want to and I, this is why we were excited to have you back, too, because I think this is evolving. Traditionally, that's all been around this idea of visual search. So in its most nascent form, uh, when you guys were founded, what exactly did that mean that you were doing for those companies you just mentioned? Right. So. Initially, um, visual search was, was created from a need, right? It's not that the technology was necessarily there and the market was looking for like different ways to apply it. I think it more uh, came from consumers um, getting more and more used to the different solutions that they have in their hands. And then what we're seeing, and again, this is happening throughout the last few years and it's, it's gaining traction, um, a bigger and bigger portions of um, the the, the let's call it the potential shoppers of retailers are becoming those Gen Z uh, and Gen X uh, generations that are, some of them are digitally native people who were, you know, basically born with a smartphone in their hands. And then we have a, a, a bit older generations that haven't necessarily, you know, had these, this technology since day one, but have adopted really quickly. And mm-hmm. by now we're already like, they have this like, 10 years experience with these types of tech. And what happened is that it kind of shapes our expectations, shapes our habit. And, and in exchange, we also um, uh, impact the way and the directions that technology is evolving. Um, so what Site was meant to do initially was to solve this problem of people get inspired many times by, by visuals, by pictures, by seeing something that they want, that, that, that they thought could look really cool in their room, or maybe they would want to wear that like for the next big uh, 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 party or whatever. And 
with just like generic search tools, we can't really translate that image, that inspiration into actually finding that exact item. And so where Lee and Ofer uh, uh, started at the time was trying to solve that specific pain point of how can I find that red dress that I'm looking for in a certain store? Uh, I can't just write red dress on Google. And so uh, they started developing the, uh, the visual AI engine um, with the lead scientist from, uh, uh, from the CERN and uh, um, with Lee's brother. Um, and two years later, the first uh, visual AI engine uh, by site was born. Yeah, I w- what I love about how you describe that too is that there's a limitation in words, essentially, is how I capture that, right? That, that, that it almost like when you talk, to, you can only say you love someone in so many ways. And what does that actually really mean when you say it? it's the same thing with a red dress? If you type red dress into a search bar, it can mean so many different things to so many different people because there are so many, so many attributes within that product that means something to different people where the word is different to different people. And so you need some other way of communicating to that, uh, communicating that aspect of things, just like you need different ways to communicate, you know, how you love a person, so to speak. And I I find that fascinating. And and I think the key there too is like, it started, so visual search, right? It started as like, hey, the ones you saw, everything you saw like three or four years ago is like, let's take a picture with your mobile phone and then, you know, we'll help you find it in the search. But probably the more important words that you said were it's actually a visual AI engine. Talk about what the difference is if you can for the audience. Cause I think it's important from an educational standpoint, visual search versus visual AI engine and all it enables you to do because it's far more expansive than just that consumer facing use case that is so kind of quote unquote dominant in the marketplace. Exactly. So I think that the key was in, in the how, we solve the problem. And instead of just saying, all right, we'll, we'll develop some tool that allows you to upload the picture and then look for that picture. What we do is basically we um, train our engine to identify, basically break down every picture into thousands of different pixels. And then according to that, it pretty much assembles a unique uh, uh, identifier for each item. What you get from that uh, uh, is a set of um, tags and attributes and categories that you can keep on building, you know, as you go, as you said, you know, like into different countries, different verticals. And as you teach your engine to label different things, different uh, materials, different types of, uh, of apparel items or, or jewelries or home decor, you are able to then identify very, very uh, accurately um, pretty much every item. So um, it's not just that we're using that to identify um, the red dress that you were looking for. We're also able to say, oh, this dress is actually with these types of straps and it's made from these types of materials and the silhouette is like this and like that. And oh, the, uh, the cleavage is in this specific shape. And oh, you were looking for this. And actually we can find 50 other items that are really similar to this. Maybe you would want to look at these styles uh, uh, otherwise. And then you can even connect it to like a backend personalization engine and say, oh, you know what? Usually when people buy this dress, it's A, for a casual event. So maybe I can offer you like a casual hat to go with it. Or this dress and this material looks really good with these shoes specifically. So maybe you can shop these two together. Um, and you can really leverage this added data to a lot of different um, use cases. Um, that 
eventually enable better search, better discovery, easier experiences for uh, consumers. And that's across many angles of the retail operation too. So with a lot of retailers listening to this and you know potentially having the ability to invest in visual search, I, let's lay out some of those because th- there's the traditional case of like, okay, I'm walking down the street, I see it on my mobile phone, I take a picture of it, I put it in whatever search bar and boom, it shows up and that's how it works, right? Or I you know, do it in my Google browser too, like same thing. But like what you're talking about is really subtle. So like you mentioned, you mentioned one there. It's a it's a better search. Visual AI is a better search experience or enables it. Tell us what you mean. So like now I'm on the website and I go and I type in. Let's just make this make this up. Let's say it's a a settee piece of fur, like a blue. I want a blue settee for my house or a blue a blue couch for my house. Why is that now a better search experience because of visual AI? So first of all in a lot of different search engines, you have hierarchies between terms. And so how you structured your search term really affects the results that you're gonna get. Um, With visual AI, what you can do when you really um, build a very kind of sophisticated network uh, between different items, between different categories and attributes, you're able to uh, understand the connection and show a lot of very uh, relevant results. Now, on top of that, that like the example you gave is a, is a pretty uh, um, you know simple example. But um, for once, what if I, w- I was to search this like your website but in a different language? You right. need to now label that like the, the merchandising team, right? They would have to label that couch in like thirty different languages and make sure that it all like hits directly uh, uh, the jargon of the like. The, this local store. Um, now, the second thing is um, for like the accuracy of search. Um, when we have all of these uh, uh, backend added attributes, what it also allows is that it allows the, the retailer to apply uh, smart rules of how they would want to build a hierarchy of the results. Maybe they would uh, prioritize items that are on sale. Maybe they will mm. prioritize items that go well with a different offering. Maybe they can connect that to a specific personalized uh, uh, preferences that, that they know about this specific group of, uh, this specific segment um, of users. But I think that the bottom line is that every search tool on the planet is as good as the database that it relies on. And for most retailers, that's a huge challenge. Um, It differs between different types of retailers, but think of like, I think the most, like the classic example uh, is like the different marketplaces, right? How do you standardize the way that you um, break down an item and put it into categories? And how do you do that when you have so many users, for example, uploading their own pictures uh, of items that they want to sell? Or you have, um, you're selling shoes from this one brand but you have so many different stores putting in those shoes each one of them talking about it slightly differently how do you know that it's actually the same item the same brand how do you make sure that um you maintain that like consistency in the brand and description how do you connect the different items and the results that you show uh so really it's about giving a better backend to support that search. Well, and that's really important too, because there's, there's two pieces of that that are vital. There's, you know, there's first of it, what data goes in, right? 
And so like we said before, the data, the way it's currently done or has traditionally been done, it's limited by language. It's limited by product attribution and taxonomies and putting in all the information that you need to, which I've never even thought about the complexities where you get into different languages for that as well. Oh, sure. And so the visual, the visualization engine can actually be the tool that almost translates all those languages onto your website. But the second piece that I want to bring out more is you actually can know it's right too, right? Like that's an important thing, right? Like so that you can actually triage and understand how accurate the website is versus like now, how is that done? Like it's impossible that it's very, not impossible. It's very difficult to manage so much data, but you can correlate, talk about correlating then that data back to the visualization and what's in the engine. Right. So, um, just, just one, one more point about, about, you yeah. know, that, uh, the process that, that impacts, if you think about the tagging teams or like the merchandising team, this saves right. huge costs, but also it kind of eliminates a lot of, uh, human errors. So okay. once you automate that, you can really run really fast. You can run very fast with that. Uh, and you can, uh, uh, really scale your operation. But I think that where it ties back to visual search, um, is the ability to, a, generate a lot of uh, uh, meaningful data for the retailer where you can identify mm. trends in real time that you wouldn't have necessarily been able to generate if you would only rely on the data that you have on your website. So you you can say, oh, yeah, we see an uplift in uh, searches for short sleeve shirts, right? Because it's July. But when you have all of these added uh, uh, visual tags, then you know, oh, it's actually more around these types of uh, uh, V-necks and it's more with these types of fabrics. And now we see that actually this palette of colors is actually uh, uh, going really well this past week, specifically in Minneapolis, for example. Um, and then you can uh, um, you know, bring back that data to the retailer in real time and they can uh, act upon it very fast um, and you can really uh, uh, uplift your personalization game you know on your website because you're able to connect a lot of different products that you wouldn't have necessarily um, present as like the next item or similar uh, item or frequently bought together because you know if someone is now looking at this specific item his actual current intent, regardless of the age group that he's in or the gender or where he's logging in from, this specific item actually shows strong intent to a different item that looks a bit like that. And then you can pull an added layer of personalization that isn't only um, replicating past uh, journeys, but right. it's also you know, leveraging current intent. Yeah, you're smarter about the trends. That makes sense. Yeah, it gets you more informed about the trends. And what were you gonna ask? Well, and I think there's something really important to just like pause and call out here too. And I think this gets back to Gal, what you were saying about just the overall experience. Like number one, I want to call out that like what was visual search two years ago when you guys, you know, really started coming into market um, is so drastically different now. One, because it calls to mind uh, all of the operational efficiencies that you're providing and what, how this makes it better from the, the retailer's back end. But then now what that's able to translate to for the customer experience. So now it's, it's turned into a site visual experience where 
you know, and even especially now as we have COVID where people are, people are searching, they're not out on the streets taking photos of people's shirts that they're seeing or a lipstick that they're wearing because we're mask covered. But I want to, I want you to talk a little bit more too about what this unlocks then for the, the whole brand experience that brands are now able to offer their customers and what your recommendations would be if I'm a retailer or brand thinking about this. Cause it's not just about the cool, like flashy tech of visual search anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, and and I just want to to say, I mean, for sight, the way that we measure ourselves is is obviously not um, <clears throat> by how many flashy features we can get out there and how many products uh, with cool names we can sell, but it's it's about the experience. If we can really create better experiences that are um, delightful, seamless, easy to use for people, that's the test. And where we see the value, regard, you know, if I put aside like better conversion rates, higher revenue, bigger basket sizes, that's cool. But I think that um, for the brands, if they can really deliver better experiences, that's where they get the strategic value of like brand loyalty, returning customers, devoted fans. And that's where we see that value kind of like uh, uh, amplifies. Now, mm-hmm. in terms of my uh, recommendations, I think that, you know, we touched earlier about this, this evolution and people's expectations evolve. There are new standards created all the time, right? People right. are experiencing like better apps and, and like faster websites and everything. And I think that it comes down to um, three things pretty much. And mm. so the first one would be um, to enable like smooth, intuitive experiences. Um, people don't want to work too hard and they won't. So they, if they encounter such an experience, such a flow that isn't intuitive, that makes them work too hard, they're either going to bounce, which is uh, almost uh, uh, not the worst um, outcome. But the, another thing that can happen is that they can, you know, criticize you and, and do that publicly, like, you know, with every social media account that they have, uh, on their name. So I'd say like enabling like smooth, intuitive experiences, that's huge. I think that um, people enjoy the search. They enjoy searching for that specific item. Right. But brands need to uh, empower them to be able to actually find. People enjoy finding, right? If we think about the journey uh, yeah. that we have, uh, that we go through, we really have like two high points. That That's how I think about it, at least. Like it's finding that item that I was looking for. Wow, this is the one that, that I wanted. And then the second point is when I actually get it in the mail. And it's like the first time that I get to try it on or put it in the room or whatever. Like those are the two high points. And I think that brands need to enable that direct search. If it's impossible for users to find the exact item that they came to your website in, uh, initially, uh, to find, then th- th- then you're missing out on that intent. And it doesn't really last that long. And then the last thing is, of course, um, one size doesn't fit all. Mm-hmm. So I would invest in having a few different solutions, different tools that, or, you know, or, or let's talk about it like different um, funnels that allow different customers to shop and discover. Some people are coming into your website and they want something made up uh, of a specific material. Other people want something that looks a certain way. Uh, and so people have different ways of thinking about what they want, what they need, what they're searching for. Uh, and brands need to cater to all of these 
different uh, personas. Well, and let's let's I want to let's segue there too because I want to talk about this because not only do they have different like not only do consumers have different ways of shopping as you said or different funnels, so do the brands. So we've talked a lot about we've talked a lot about kind of the e-commerce experience thus far, but we're Omni Talk too, so it's all about omni-channel retailing. And I think this is especially important with COVID as you're starting to see things like text-based commerce platforms start to emerge to facilitate those conversations. I imagine there has to be ties there. And even the actual in-store experience in COVID or even pre or post-COVID, there must be some applicability here too to then be able to create those intuitive experiences for customers, as you said, step number one, within all this. So how does this fundamentally then also, how do we think about it changing kind of the physical uh, experience outside of an e-commerce browser or on other platforms? I, I think that's a really good question and um, you'd be surprised, but like one of the main um, use cases that we're hearing from our clients yeah. lately is they're saying we have people coming into the store with their phone and they're just showing us a picture and saying, yeah. I'm looking for this. Uh, what can I do with that? So I think that people are already like uh, ready for that and they expect, I mean, you guys know better than I do. They expect their entire experience to be smooth. They don't really differentiate between what they experience in the brick and mortar store and to what they experience on the website. Mm -hmm. It's all the brand and that's the experience. Mm -hmm. um, what we're seeing and what we're uh, uh, building with uh, some of our partners is, um, you know, smart mirrors, for example, that let okay. people come to the store and like stand in front of a, a screen that immediately analyzes like what they're wearing and it can suggest, you know, oh, maybe you should try this one with it or that one, or it can give you uh, um, an idea of like which sizes are available or like how many are in the inventory and like different colors that are there and can uh, uh, do a lot uh, um, with that. You can apply that, you know, for smart TVs as well. Uh, you can do that with like very smart, uh, um, you know, like electric signs on the street. Um, you still have traffic on the streets, even though some of the brick and mortar stores are closed. You can use that to uh, to show different items like of your catalog and people can immediately browse, look into that and also kind of, you know, try on different things and, and look uh, uh, in the inventory without even going into a store. But again, people don't care if it's in the physical store or on the website. It's about the engagement with the brand. Yeah, absolutely. I never thought about that until this this until this podcast too. Like the basically the the convergence of conversational AI with kind of a visual AI engine running in the background too, and how that can facilitate those conversations both in store via text messaging, whatever it is. Especially right now during COVID, that's probably a pretty pretty smart place to invest. I've never thought about that as concretely until you until you just talked about that. So that's yeah, that's really fascinating. And even just think about the just leveraging the data that you right. get from in-store engagement or like online engagement back right. to the brick and mortar store. Right. You really can provide customers like a real personalized experience. Like super sticky. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially on like a text platform, like where you can go back and forth. But all right, I can I can walk out on that all day probably. But uh, well, so what's so what's on the horizon? So what uh. What's what are you guys looking at here? I mean, the whole world's kind of been throwing a curveball here in the first, you know, few months, but uh, of twenty twenty. But what's on the docket for the back half of twenty twenty for you guys? How are you thinking about it, and how are you guys thinking about approaching the next year, twenty twenty one, too? So generally speaking, we're we're um, doubling down on like creating like just 
better natural experiences, whether it'll be by um, visuals, by text, by speech, uh, and we're really creating different solutions to empower that so that different mm-hmm. consumers can search, shop, discover in whichever way they, uh, um, they, they want to or they prefer to. Um, we have a, a big release of uh, textual search, like super sophisticated product that uh, um, went live already with a few customers and is uh, um, launching officially in a few weeks. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm going to you know, bite my tongue on this one. Okay. Uh, what is that? What is textual search before you go on? Just so everyone knows. It's, uh, I think a, maybe a better way to call it is augmented search. Okay. It's basically um, very sophisticated text-based search, like, like what we know today, but with the added layer of like we uh, attributes that, that, you, that, that we talked about uh, a bit earlier. That creates like a way more sophisticated uh, uh, text search engine with also capabilities for the retailer to customize like the results and really uh, analyze uh, things in real time. And we believe it's going to be a huge power up for uh, our uh, partners. Well, we've got to get you out of here on this. We can't end this podcast without, of course, doing our signature segment, which is how millennial are you? Now, you will not be the first one at your company to have gone through this segment. So there is a lot of pressure on you. This may be the first. And is this the first time we've done this? Like a return engagement from somebody at the same company? I think so. I think you're going to kick us off, gal. We've done two people at the same time, but never like, you know, know, a few years later. So this will be fascinating. Be good office fodder. All right, Anne, Anne, are you ready for this? Yes, gal, we're going to play How Millennial Are You? Uh, Let's start with question number one. So traditionally, when you are going to, let's say, the grocery store, you're going to check out, are you paying with cash, a credit card, or mobile payment? Credit card. Credit card. Credit card, really? Still? Yep. Really? Is it now? I know now you're now we should have said this too. So you're out, you're in Tel Aviv, right? Right. So what, how is that? Like is Apple pay pretty prevalent out there? Electronic payments, right? Not, not yet. Okay. And so is that what's holding you back or is it more, you're just like an old, you know, kind of crusty. I like to use a credit card kind of guy. Trust issues with the, um, (laughs) um, so, so I don't know how fast I'll be to adopt this new, uh, tech. But um, I'm not um, against it. I'll, you know, I'll get with the program probably within a year or two. Okay. All right. So well, right now, to- your trust outweighs like touching and contacting like <laughs> payment terminals. That's good to know. Okay. It puts me. It puts you. In a, it puts pegs you into a good spot. All right. <laughs> well, Chris and I have been to Tel Aviv, so I think that you'll do well on this next one. You might be able to redeem yourself. Uh, how many times in the last week have you ordered food or drinks from an app? Well, um, it's Tuesday. So, um, pretty much every day. (laughs) Every day. (laughs) What's in the rotation? What are you ordering? Uh, I'd say I kind of go between, um, Indian food to, um, burgers, um, that's like my range. And then sometimes I'll throw in the occasion of hummus just for good measures. <laughs> That's awesome. Nice. So nice. every day, every day within the last week, That's that might, cool. that might have saved you. Yeah. Yeah. I got to ask, cause I'm a huge Indian fan too. What's the, what's the staple go-to order? Are we talking, are we, are we going curry? Are we spicing it up with a little vindaloo? What do we got? What do we got going on here? Chicken masala. Masala. All right. Okay. 
All right. Very nice. Okay. That makes sense. Makes sense. That's pretty, probably a pretty popular dish, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Gal. Last question. If you could only use one social platform, which one would you choose and why? Twitter. Whoa. Okay. Tell us more. Um, I feel like everything else is a bit too noisy for me. And I'm also a person that's like very weary of my privacy and all of that. I'm not, I'm not huge on, on social media. Uh, so personally, I, I use Twitter a lot. I like it easy to consume, uh, you know, different things. And uh, my, my, my second choice would have been LinkedIn, though it's like more, you know, professionally uh, connected. Yep. But um, Facebook, Instagram, like I'm just, I'm not there. It's too saturated for me. Interesting. Those are the two we probably hear the most often. Instagram would be the other one too. So you said something though that I want to, I want to, I want to ask you more about because I've been hearing it more lately, especially with COVID. Do you feel like there's more privacy on Twitter? That's something we haven't explored in the content. That's why we do this too, because we try to find the threads. Like you mentioned there, do you, do you feel that you're, it's kind of more of a private experience on Twitter or is that something I picked up incorrectly? Um, I don't, well, yeah. You're not using your whole name and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you, you can kind of you can kind of have a profile that's like semi-public and you don't mm-hmm. really need to post everything about yourself and you don't have um, necessarily your friend like friends or people from like you know 20 years ago still connected to you and like seeing everything right. that you do. Um, something you share with your mom doesn't suddenly become you know available to everyone. Right. So, you know, my grandmother uh, uh, is on Facebook and she she used to be like my biggest fan. Um, everything that I used to post, she would like comment on that. Man, this is great. And, you know, everything. Um, and yeah, it, it kind of pushed me towards the direction of uh, separating. Uh, <laughs> like from, from Facebook, I mean. Does your grandma listen to podcasts? We might have to edit that part out. We, you know, we don't want her to. Or send this to her directly. <laughs> She's an adopter. Like she picks up on everything. It's amazing. Amazing. I admire her. That's awesome. That is so, we have never heard that. The, the grandmother <laughs> drop was, was actually what, what was the impetus for getting off of a social media platform. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. You're going to take a lot of hell at home for that one, but uh, that, that's great to hear, man. Hey, all right. That was fun. That was fun. That's why we do this. And you learn something every time with it too. Like that angle has been very much more prevalent. It seems like, especially on the social media side of things here lately. Um, well, that was great. If people want to learn more about site, if they want to reach out to you, Gal, what is the absolute best way for them to do that? Because like we said, this has been a technology we've been, you know, evangelizing for quite some time. And actually after talking with you, I actually, it's going to only accelerate more because it has just so many more inroads with so many other complementary technologies as well. So what's the best place for people to reach out? So I, I think the easiest would just, you know, to log into our website at uh, site.ai, uh, so S-Y-T-E.ai, and you can really learn more about our products there and read like uh, um, really great customer stories uh, of how different brands are uh, leveraging site. And with me personally, I mean, feel free to uh, uh, to drop me a line on uh, LinkedIn or uh, anything like that. And uh, I'd love to connect. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, Gal Fontaine, and that's F-O-N-T-Y-N if you want to hit him up on LinkedIn. Again, he's the VP of Marketing and Site. Thanks to him. Thanks to everyone for listening and tuning in. And of course, as always, be careful out there.